0: Are there any poets here? Anybody write poetry? I'm not going to ask you to recite a poem, but just curious to see if anybody writes poetry. There are fewer people than I thought writing poetry these days. How about reading poetry? Um, how many of you enjoy reading poetry? Ah, some folks, that's good. Some um, hesitant volunteers, very anonymous ones, but at uh, least I got a response there, that's good. But actually, I think quite a lot of you enjoy reading poetry, because the Psalms are poems, one of the poet, poetry books of the Bible, and uh, there are more than one. And if you, how many of you enjoy the Psalms? Ah, a few more hands, and a few of you enjoy the Psalms, but just don't want to stick your hand up. That tends to be what happens in churches, isn't it? So, um, but I would take it that uh, there'll be a lot of people enjoy the Psalms. The psalms are special poems. These are inspired poems, not just humanly inspired, but divinely inspired poems. They form the hymn book that the Hebrews used, and they are the basis of quite a number of the hymns, ancient and modern, that we also sing. Uh, The inspiration that we gain from reading the psalms is comprehensive. We, We find that they're it's almost a psalm for every occasion in life. There are psalms when things are going great. There are psalms when things are not going great. There are psalms that seem to be quite simplistic, where if we follow the right path, everything's going to turn out fine. But then actually, we, don't, we find that don't, or it doesn't always work that way, but it's, it's slightly more complicated. But there are psalms that will address situations in life which don't quite turn out as we thought they might. There are psalms in which even the psalmist questions the justice of God until he enters into the temple of the Lord, and it's there that he uh, finds the truth. And the psalm that we're going to be focusing on this morning is a psalm that is a reflective psalm, one of David's psalms, in which... Through his learning about the ways of God that were revealed to him, we also can learn. It's Psalm 139, and I'm going to read the psalm just now. "'You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways.' I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, "Surely the darkness will hide me and the light be- and uh, the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not? Hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. Have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A psalm of discovery, reflection that leads into prayer. In fact, it is a prayer. and was the basis of one of the hymns, the psalm of David. If the children's address was about salvation, how we get saved, how we come to know the Lord, then the sermon is about sanctification. It's about holiness. Uh, It's an old-fashioned word we don't use. These days, so often, it's, um, what's the word, the modern speak for sanctification and, and holiness? Spiritual formation, I think, is the modern language that is used. But it's basically carrying forward into our life's experience and ways of being the logical step of what it means to live in the presence of God. Now that we have become the people of God. Now that we are Christian believers, having fellowship with God and identifying ourselves with with the church and with the people of God, we are Christians, we are disciples of Christ. What does that actually mean in terms of the way in which we live? It might sound strange to some people if we describe ourselves as those who have a relationship with God. Some might think we're being pretentious, even pious. Nothing of the kind. We're just talking about, really, what God intended that everyone should have and can have through Christ. It's about praying and listening. And if we take it even further, um, I love the verse, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? I didn't really fully understand what that meant at one time, and then I thought about it, and I thought, wow, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, what does that that mean? It means as I get up in the morning, as I go out to to work or uh, socialize or whatever I'm doing for the day, go out for a walk, go to the shops or everything else, whatever I encounter and whatever thought comes to mind during the day, I take that captive to the obedience of Christ. So that in an hour of temptation, I'll say, what does Jesus want me to do? So in an hour of opportunity, I would say, well, what would Jesus want me to do? Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ so that I might live my life in the presence of God as God would have me do in a way that brings him praise and glory. For that is worship, isn't it? It's not just the singing of praise on the Lord's Day. We worship in the way that we live our lives. And this psalm addresses this. Psalm 139 is uh, David's reflections on what it meant for him to live in the presence of God. It is about the presence of God, the omnipresence of God, God being present everywhere inescapably. David had vast experience in life. He knew what it was like to be despised by his brothers. And God was there present with him. He knew what it was like to gain a victory over a giant in battle. And God was there present with him. He knew what it was like to be pursued by King Saul, who sought his life, and God was present with him. He knew the experience of sorrow and loss of a small child, and God was present with him. He experienced the rebellion of his son Absalom, whose ambition was to destroy David, his father, who loved him. And Absalom was killed in battle, but God was present with David through it all. He knew the extremes of moral failure and its consequences, and God saw it. He also knew the forgiveness and mercy of God, and he earned the description. A man after God's own heart. And whatever experiences we have in life as Christian believers, God is present with us. The sense of the absence of God, which sometimes overcomes us, even in the place of prayer, particularly in times when we're going through hardship. We think as though our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. That's an illusion of the absence of God. We might feel that God is not there, but He is. We can experience an illusion. We can think that we're going in entirely the, wrong, the right direction and discover we've been going in the wrong direction. I've done that in the car before. Traveled about twenty or thirty miles and thinking something's wrong here with these signposts, discovering I'd gone the wrong too many turns around the roundabout, and I was totally going in the wrong direction. But I thought I was going in the right direction. And Liz and I have got a funny relationship she, uh, in the in driving the car. Sometimes she thinks he's going the he's going the wrong way here. But she keeps her mouth shut just in case she's right. And sometimes she thinks, Oh, you're going the wrong way And actually I'm right, but sometimes we think we're going in the In a certain way, and actually, we need a wake-up call and discover it's not actually true. And it's saying with the sense of the absence of God, God is present. That is a truth. And if you feel that God has left your life at this time, that God isn't with you in trouble, particularly if you're depressed about something, and you feel as though God isn't there, he's there. You just can't feel it because you can't deny the truth of God's word. Let's have a look at a couple of slides here, this first one. God's knowledge is incomprehensive. um, God's knowledge is comprehensive. David discovered that God's knowledge is comprehensive. This is in the psalm here. What did he find out about God? Well, we're going to unpack this in terms of what it means to live in the presence of God. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely. Oh, Lord. How do you find that? Do you find that challenging or do you find that comforting? I think we can find both. It can be challenging in the hour of temptation that God knows what's going on. We can't conceal that from God. God knows what we have been doing this week. We might try and keep that a secret and hide it from others, but we cannot hide it from God. That's challenging. And that's a discipline of the Spirit, when we, become, when we become convicted about things that or ways that we are taking that are not in keeping with a disciple of Christ. That is a challenge. And the Holy Spirit of God brings conviction to you and warns you not to continue in that way, for that way leads to death, spiritual death. And that is a way... From which you should turn and turn back to Christ if you're taking that way. And God sees it, God knows it, and God is present, and God is watching it, and God puts words on the lips of preachers to highlight that to you today. But if, on the other hand, you're down, You're feeling depressed. You're feeling somehow alone. Or you're going through very, very difficult times. Is it not comforting to know that the Lord is with you? That the Lord is present and He knows. It's so helpful when it comes to prayer to know that God knows everything even though we feel inarticulate in prayers and find it difficult to express ourselves. what does the, I think it's in the Sermon on the Mount. We don't need to heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do because God knows what we need before we ask Him. So our prayers can be primary speech. They can be simple, simple words to use. We don't need to come up with a plan to put it into God's hands and say, I think this might be a good idea, God, if you would do this. That's us trying to think it through as we listen to God in the place of prayer. Maybe we need to pray the prayer of one of the ancient kings. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Remembering that God is sovereign and can act on our behalf. The Lord Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. And how wonderful if you've ever been in counselling. You've seen a counsellor to be listened to and heard by someone who is a skilled listener who is there, empathising with you, who is genuine and is present with you and doesn't judge you. The Lord is the supreme, wonderful counsellor to whom we can go. Who knows us? Who knows our situation? How comforting that is for us as we walk in the way. God's knowledge is comprehensive. God's knowledge is comprehensive. God's presence is inescapable. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? For go up to the heavens, you're there. For my bed in the depths, you're there. For I rise on the wings of the dawn. I settle on the far side of the sea. Even there, your hand will hide me. I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Again, do you find this challenging? You can't put the light off with God. You can't hide. You're living with a light on. God's watching. (laughs) That's scary if we're getting it wrong. But how comforting. To know that the Lord is present and sees as well. In a relationship with God, where we seek to walk with God and trust in God's grace, it's comforting to know that we're never alone. His presence is inescapable, even as much as His knowledge is comprehensive. Other Psalms deal with this. Psalm 77, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world's. The earth trembled and quaked, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. The basis of that poem, which is an anonymous poem, I wonder who did write that poem, Footprints. That's when uh, the, the footprints disappear in the sand, and it's as though the Lord is not walking by their side, and it is explained to them that in those moments when there were it was only one set of footprints rather than two when they felt most alone. It was when the Lord was carrying them. I think it's a very good way of interpreting what that means. Your footprints were not seen. We are never alone. It gets celebrated in the words of Matt Redmond's hymn. That line I love in that hymn, never once did we ever walk alone. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. How do you feel about that? It makes me feel good. 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence. We lived from 1611 to 1691, discovered this truth, that we live in the presence of God as believers, consistently. And it was said of him, I'll quote, Brother Lawrence continually practiced the presence of God. And there's a book on this, by the way. Some of you will have read Practicing the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence continually practiced the presence of God while working with the pots and pans in his monastery kitchen. He shows us a way to pray without ceasing while performing our routine daily required tasks. This is a book about living the Christian life from the heart rather than just the head. Of making this a way of being to live out a holy life as God enables us to do in His presence, each day taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Imagine if it were the opposite, that God were absent, like the deists would would have us believe that God wound it all up like a clock in order to let it run down and then disappeared off somewhere somewhere and was inaccessible forevermore, while he just let the thing run down, which is, of course, contrary to Scripture. But imagine what that would be like if God were absent, if there were no restraints on evil, if there was no comfort in a time of need, no opportunity to have fellowship with God, no meaning to prayer at all, and that we were abandoned, left to ourselves. Well, what we have is the opposite to that, the very nearness of God in time of need. And David knew both the challenge and the comfort of these truths. Because God saw everything... He had a little word with Nathan one day and said, go have a word with David. I've seen what he's been doing. And he tells this parable about some person who had all these sheep and flocks and herds, and there was one person who had one little pet lamb. That's all he had. The person with all the flocks and the herds went to that one and said, I want that one, I'm having that one, I want it, and I am demand it, and I'm taking that from you, and he took it. David was incandescent with rage, and he said, who is that man? Let's sort him out. And Nathan said, you are the man. Because he had seen what David had done in taking Bathsheba another man's wife, and then sending the husband to the front line and having all the others draw back from him in order that he might be killed to conceal the truth that he had slept with the man's wife who was expecting his child and the man had been too noble to have gone to bed with his wife. And so it it would have been revealed that he had been the father. God saw it all. That's the depth to which David went and was in time forgiven, but paid the penalty, paid the consequences for it. God knew that's challenging. God sees our wrongdoing, but comfort came to David as well in times when he was in need and in great distress. And he was able to write, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's knowledge is comprehensive. God's presence, inescapable. God's works are wonderful. For you created me, You created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. David didn't know anything about genetic engineering and DNA and all these sorts of things. He was just taken up with the wonder of it all. And the more we know about the world in which... We live in the details of human genetics. Some people find this, for them, takes away something of the wonder of God's works. I don't. The more that scientists discover, the more I am in awe of what God has done. And the way it all works, and how life, as we experience it today, what are we made up of, and how do we see one another, perceiving through through light waves that, that shine into our eyes, and nerve endings that interpret into a brain something that we see out there, which is in some sense in here. I don't know whether it's out there or it is in here. The sounds that we hear that create meaning that we can process within a brain, and then break it all down, and... We think, how does it all hold together? Because all I am physically is a conglomeration of particles all revolving around one another. And as for DNA and all of these spirals that you see, magnified by these amazing magnifying devices, it's astonishing God's words are, God's works are, indeed, wonderful. Romans 11, verse 33, reads, How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. God is mysterious. The book of Job reminds us that some of the experiences of life still leave us with questions for which we have no complete answer when it comes to the ways of God. But whatever our circumstances, nothing can alter the fact that God is present with us in all of the wonder of creation. As Paul writes in uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God knows. God is present. God is amazing. God is also holy. God's being is holy. I find it, uh, when I read the psalm here, and you perhaps, I, I sensed it almost in the congregation. I was reading it through. When we get to the end bit, you think, quite nice to leave that bit out. This, if only you would slay the wicked. It doesn't seem to fit on. It's almost like a tag on. No, it's not. It's integral to the psalm it's how I, I deliberately read it in a particular way, because if we read it in a different way, it would sound as though David was full of animosity, it was an embittered person who, after speaking so wonderfully about God and his ways, turns on everybody else and is rather not, not very nice to them. This isn't David desiring personal vengeance. This is David expressing his choice to side with God when he sees evil and injustice within the world, and his intent is to oppose those who oppose God simply because of the way that they oppose God. If I read it in a a different way, then it it could have read as though he was being, um, I don't know, really unpleasant and desiring personal vengeance. But that is not the way that it is written here. He is so zealous for the name of God that anyone who misuses his name or uh, gives themselves to to rebellion against God and um, doesn't serve the cause of justice, he opposes those who oppose God. What does he say? Do I not hate those who hate you? I abhor those who are rebellious against you. That's what it's about. It's good to see over the the time that I've been a Christian, some some of so many years, um, quite a few now. See the change that's taken place over my time as a Christian. When I first became a Christian, the church that I attended was very purest when it came to the gospel, and it was good to hear the gospel message preached. But what was absent with it was the other things that Jesus went about doing. In Luke chapter 4, I think it is, where he describes, the Spirit of the Lord is a, uh, uh, has anointed me, uh, is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, uh, freedom for the captives, uh, uh, sight for the blind, and so on. And and the year of Jubilee, which is a a wonderful theme to unpack, uh, where matters of social justice and even care for the environment are integral to our Christianity. That was missing. I'm glad to see that that is now, that the Christians these days are, are taking much more of an interest in matters of social justice and environmental issues If uh, any of you are landlords and have let out property, you'll always be worrying about tenants. And are the next tenants going to be okay? Or are they going to just trash the place? And we hear horror stories of what goes on. I know there is a sense in which we're all tenants. Tenants of God's creation. We're here for a while. And very sadly and very morbidly, within a 100 years or two, A couple of hundred years down the road, how many of us will be remembered? Names may come up, but new people will have occupied and taken on life and will be the new tenants. How are we treating the environment? A bad tenant will not care and just say, well, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm just going to leave it in a mess. And there was this strong... A message that came through to me that, well, well, the Lord's coming again and it's all going to be burned up, so it doesn't really matter what we do with the planet. God's creation is good, and we should take care of it as our created beings, and our mandate is to love not only one another, but our neighbors as ourselves as all part of the gospel let's say over the over our years as Christians we we should be coming, be becoming more like God more God like or Godly to use the more familiar evangelical term we are to grow in grace and to become more Christ like as time goes by and we will find that changes take place within us whereby we will respect much more the things that God has made. We, too, could grow to become people, as did David, to be those who are after God's own heart. So, living in God's presence daily and hourly we live in the one in the presence of one whose knowledge is comprehensive whose presence is inescapable whose works are wonderful and whose being is holy David concludes this psalm by writing and I think this is for us search me let's make it personal shall we search me O God, and know my heart, where are you on the road? Are you becoming more like Christ or less like Christ? Are you traveling on a road that is following in the footsteps of Christ or walking away from Him? What is the direction of your life? What is the trajectory of your life? Where are you going to end up if you keep going on the way you are at this time? I hope and pray that as we ask this of God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. We will in all sincerity be able to say, and lead me in the way everlasting."